Happy Wednesday. I always hate to interrupt great conversation happening, um, but, but we're here for a reason, right? Um, my name's Gabe. If uh, we haven't met, I uh, hope, hope we get to have a conversation um, at some point while you're in this uh, class. Um, let me pray for us as we, as we get started here tonight. Lord, um, we just thank you for the opportunity to, to be together. We don't take that lightly. Um, it's, it's a privilege that we have the freedom and the space uh, together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you haven't left us without um, a way to find you. And so, Lord, as we, as we enter into um, study and conversation and prayer, um, Lord, we pray more than anything you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, would you um, create space in our hearts and our minds tonight? Lord, would you settle um, our busyness as we leave our frenetic activity and we enter into a holy space together tonight with you? Lord, we ask that you would meet us here. We ask that you would change us. Lord, we thank you that you're a living God and that we study your living word. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, we're uh, continuing our series uh, tonight in the Old Testament. And uh, I was telling somebody that, you know, this, is, this, this was a little bit of a downer to, uh, to prepare, you know, because it's rebellion in the kingdom. And so you're just, I don't know about you, but you're just like marinating on stories of human failure um, for a week is, is not a lot of fun, but I think has a, a lot of benefit for us. And I, I hope um, tonight kind of where I want to take you is we're going to, of course, get into the story of some of these um, histories that are important because they're histories of our faith. And I think that's an important thing to remember as we're studying the Old Testament is there, there can be this temptation that we view the, the Old Testament scriptures as something so ancient, so far away, so other, um, that it doesn't really connect with, with us, right? We just kind of see it as like, we need to understand this so that we can kind of get to the good part, um, to the gospels and to the stories that are really relevant for us. But I really like want to challenge that view at the outset um, tonight. As we study, you know, remember that this is a history of our people. This is a history of our people because we are God's people and we're studying about God's people and the things that happened to them and the things that they did and the ways they interacted with God. Because remember, the other important thing is God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, and so just, I think that's a sobering thing as we get into these stories to remember, we're, n- we're not so different than the people that we're, we're reading about. And we're gonna explore that in depth tonight. Uh, and we're serving the same God that they, that they were serving because he hasn't changed. And um, I hope that tonight has real practical benefit for you as well. Uh, we'll get into the histories and um, I'm going to highlight a few things. Of course, we can't highlight everything. And then we're, gonna, we're actually going to end with something that I hope is um, a, a, a place for, for you to actually meet with the Lord. 
because um, and that's been my prayer for you as I've prayed for you this week that you would meet God tonight in a special way that it wouldn't just be an academic exercise but that you would commune with him and he might speak to you in a special way um, so that's just to, to tee up where we're going a little bit um, all right of course what are we talking about tonight we're talking about this idea of rebellion rebellion I think we can all understand rebellion why um, because of our our little friend here, um, raise your hand if, if, if you are a parent, all right, raise your hand if you're a kid or you've been a kid, that's all of us, right, um, so, you know, if you remember being a kid, and certainly if you've parented children, you know, one thing is true is that you don't have to teach rebellion to human beings, right, this is something that comes quite naturally, um, in fact, the work of parenting is, is actually taming the beast of the rebel within, right? And we know the reality is that uh, the, the rebellious spirit never fully leaves us, um, that when we're pressured in our worst moments, you put us in the right situation with the wrong people, and what you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, what comes out, right? What's inside, um, and so rebellion is something that's, that's near to us um, in all of our personal experiences and journeys. Um, I want to share a little bit just as a way of, of, of opening um, part of my personal journey, um, uh, just reflecting on rebellion and a space where I feel like when I think about this word, I think about a particular set of experiences that I had. Um, and I decided to share this because it's, it's the setting of my experience is very close to the setting of, of our text tonight and the things that we're talking about. Um, so this is a flyover taken from a Black Hawk helicopter over Mosul, Iraq in 2003. And what you're looking at, this is the Tigris River right here. Um, and there was five, five bridges that span the Tigris, Tigris River and um, this little compound right here that you see with all the red around it was where I lived for 10 months during my 12-month combat tour um, in this place. Now, if you don't know where Mosul is on the map, that's in northern Iraq. Uh, but Iraq, before it was Iraq, in the ancient world, do you know what it was called? Assyria. Yeah. And do you know what was at the center of the, the city? What was the ancient city that was in the city of Mosul? Where did Jonah go? Nineveh. So Nineveh is actually the same as, as Mosul, and the ancient ruins of Nineveh are actually um, still there. Um, and and the, they're you know, being kind of excavated and that kind of thing. So this is a really fascinating place that um, I spent a year um, in, in this ancient place. In fact, you can't see it in this picture, but somewhere right over here is um, a mosque called the Nabi Yunus Mosque, which is the prophet Jonah mosque because Muslims actually worship um, or celebrate Jonah as, a pro as their prophet as well. And so uh, to the Iraqis, that was the actual burial place of, of Jonah. Um, and so we find that in our text tonight. And so uh, the powerful experience, though, I had here when I think about this word rebellion is, you know, for 10 months, I lived on this little compound and it, it was, you can't really see it, but it was walled off because we were surrounded on all sides um, by lots of people in this urban environment. And we were invaders, right? So we weren't really welcomed or, or liked for most of the time that I was there. 
And um, I would run circles for exercise around this little neighborhood that we called home. And so I just had a lot of time to look at this site. And I remember at some point after um, we were, the red dots are mortar shells that landed. And this is in one week. This is one week's worth of mortar shells that, that landed. And this is like where they impacted. I lived right over here is, was where I lived and worked. Um, and, um, and so, you know, you just kind of get an idea of the violence that was, that was happening in this place. And I remember one evening walking around the perimeter um, after I got off of my shift and staring at the Tigris River and just had this overwhelming sense of, you know, this is a river that's mentioned in Genesis in the beginning. It's mentioned as something that flowed out of the, the garden. Um, and I thought, how in the world did we get here? How did we get here? This, this is, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where it's just so visceral for you, like you're in a place and all of a sudden like history and stories, like all of a sudden just become real for you. And that, that was one of those moments for me. And I stared out at the rivers of the, of the Tigris and I thought, you know, once upon a time, these waters flowed from a perfect place. And the same God that I'm praying to as I'm walking that evening is the same God that walked in the cool of the day with people before there was any violence, before there was any sin in the world. And I think what made it most poignant for me is because you see, I think war is like the, the ultimate manifestation of human rebellion. It's, 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 it's that like at its peak, humans killing humans and, and vying over power and land and territory and ideas and willing to destroy each other over these things. And, you know, all of that was just so visceral for me in that moment. And I thought, this is it. This is the effects of rebellion in the world. And this is why we need the gospel. And it's why we can never fix ourselves. And I, I show that as a little bit of a shocker you know, because I think that like one of the temptations in the thing that we're talking about tonight is, is to think we can still fix ourselves, to think we're not that bad, to read these texts and go, Manasseh and these kings, I mean, scoundrels, you know, um, they're evil like Hitler or something, you know, and, and then we kind of give ourselves a pass. But the reality is our world has never been more broken um, and we are so broken, and we are so sinful as well. Um, so I think that's a great uh, sort of way to start um, to talk about what is our bottom line tonight. Well, our bottom line, and there's a lot of ways we could have gone. This is We read a lot of text, um, but here's what I decided the bottom line is um, for this evening. God establishes a way for his people to be holy but they continually rebel against him, and the consequence is exile. And I just want to point out a few things. Um, God establishes a way over and over and over again in the text that we read, in these histories that we read, we see people failing, people rebelling, people moving away. And then what does God do? He keeps giving them another chance. You know, um, David fails 
And then here comes Solomon, and Bob walked us through that last week of Solomon, build a, build a temple, and I'm going to make a way. I want so much to be present with my people. I want so much for you to follow me. And what happens? Rebellion. And over and over and over again, we see the same thing, that always God establishing a way for people to be holy, to be set apart, to be with them, but they continually rebel against him. And so this is the cycle that we're in in the scriptures, and it's a cycle that we're still in today. And I think this last part just really hit me. The consequence is exile, and we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of exile tonight. When you hear the word exile, what comes to mind? Like, what do you imagine? Siberia, yeah, that's that's pretty exiled, yeah. What else? Forced to leave, okay. Alone, that's good. Somebody else have something else? Banished. Forced to leave your home, right? Which is even, I mean, the worst kind of forced to leave, yeah. What else? What images come to your mind when you hear that word exile? Lose what you have. Good. Yeah, you people that are exiled, like they just leave it all, right? Yeah. Um, exile is like this very like it's a it's a very um, emotionally deep, I think, concept. Um, the only thing I can compare it to is you know walking with some of our Ukrainian refugees in this last year. Um, that you probably heard Travis talk, talk about some of those ladies that, you know, um, had, had to flee their homes and they had to leave Afghanistan first and then they had to leave Ukraine second and then they're now in Europe. And this, they got on a plane and knew they were never coming back. And like 25-year-old young women going, I'm never going to see my mother again. I'm never going to walk in my homeland again. Anything I've materially acquired, I'm done. I, I, I don't have that, that thing. So it's a, it's a profound idea, and this idea that we're exiled from our home, and I love that word home. It's so important. And so in the, in the scriptures, the, ex, the idea of exile is really important to understand because it's really the same idea that you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? And what happens after sin? What does God do? in terms of where he sends Adam and Eve, he sends them out, right? He banishes them from their home. It's Siberia. It's a place where you have to scratch the earth. All the comforts of the garden are gone and they can never go back, right? And sort of this idea of being banished and being outside, right, is deeply tied to the idea that relationally we're banished um, from our relationship with, with God as well. And so the whole trajectory of the story is that God is making a way for us to come home, that he wants to make a way for us to come home, to be with him again. But the experience this side of eternity is God making a way, saying, my plan is for you to come home. I'm making a way for you to be holy because I really want to be with you. But then the people keep rebelling and the consequence over and over and over again is exile, being banished, being sent away. Um, And by the way, we're still in exile. We're still in exile because we're not home yet. All right. Um, I've given you a tool on your table. Um, you've got, and you can grab one of those. Everybody should have one. I apologize for the tiny font. Even I, with my reading spectacles, 
have trouble seeing this. Um, but I wanted to um, point this out as a really cool resource. Because um, I don't know about you, but like when I'm reading these Old Testament texts, um, and I'm just going to move this because I can't see. I'm going to move this like over here because I can't see you guys. Shannon's hiding from me. I don't like it. Um, I don't know about you. When I'm reading these Old Testament texts, I get lost. Like, and I, you know, I just like, I, I'm going to be honest here. I fell asleep about 79 times um, this week trying to read these things, right? Because um, you're trying to get context. You're trying to read these stories. And, um, and so for me, in my way, my brain works, I need to kind of zoom out sometimes and see kind of what, what's the bigger picture of what's going on here. And so there's a, a resource, there's an organization called The Bible Project. If you haven't heard of The Bible Project, you can check them out. Um, it's really cool what they do. They, they create videos online that summarize all the books of the Bible. And I think we've watched some of those um, even in the class. And then like if you give them money, you can get this. And if you order now, you can get your Ginsu knives and also this coffee table book. Um, but this is a book of um, what they have is the cartoon drawings that are in the videos. They, they have each one of them for every book of the Bible in this book. And so this is something you can buy. Um, so I have one um, and it's really cool. And I love it because I love reading cartoon strips and that's a great way to stay the Bible. So anyway, what I did is copied this and gave it to you on your table because um, even as we're going through this tonight, uh, I just find it helpful to kind of zoom out and say, you might get lost in all the stories, but they've organized it in a really helpful way on here. So I just want to point out that tool um, that we're going to be referencing tonight. Um, and you might use here in a minute when we do discussion questions. Um, also, really want us to make sure we zoom out and remember the bigger story that's going on here. Remember that we have the creation and God creates this perfect world um, he's with his people, everything's good, enter the serpent, enter sin, um, everything goes wrong, right? And they're banished, they're kicked out, um, but God makes a promise, right? And he makes these series of promises that we call covenants, and he makes the first one with, with Adam, and then he continues, he makes one with Noah, and then with, with Abraham, and uh, with David. And as we move through the story, though, we see God continues to make the same promises and the people continue to break those promises. And he chooses this one little tribe, uh, this group of people, it's 12 tribes, Israel, um, to be his chosen people. But the people aren't content with God as king, and so they want their own king. And so this is the story. He gives them a king. They have uh, David as king. And then just to remember where we find ourselves in Kings, right, which the book of Kings, by the way, was actually originally, remember a long time ago, the Bible wasn't put together like this. It was in scrolls, right? And book of Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings was one book. One book of one, it's one set of stories and it's a history book. Um, and a way I've found to be helpful to think through as you're thinking through categorizing the books of the Old Testament, um, somebody taught me this one time, it really stuck with me is you've got the foundational books, which is the Torah, right? That's your Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the things that tell you the foundational things 
that you need to know about God. That tells you who God is, who people are, right? The, like his laws, what he thinks are important, foundational things, right? So we think of, of those first five books in that way. And then you have the history books, right? Which our literature tonight, um, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, these are history books. What are the history books? The history books are the story of how the people of God are trying to live out those foundational things that, that they're taught, okay? Um, but we learn they fail over and over and over again, but that's what they are, is the history books of trying to live out the foundational things. And there's a third uh, set of books, and we're gonna look at a couple of them tonight. It's called the prophets. And the prophets are basically people that God has called to enter into the story that we read about in the history books, right? As the people are failing and living out God's foundational things, enter the prophets, and the prophets are trying to call the people back to those same foundational things. So for me, I found that as a helpful way to understand foundational books, history books, prophetic books, prophets calling people of God back to the foundational things. Um, so in our history, we, we see Solomon succeeds David. Um, we have Solomon's reign that Bob talked about last week with the temple. Solomon's ultimate downfall. Why? Because he goes his own way. He starts conducting himself like a king of the world and stops obeying God's um, commands. Um, and so then where, where are we today? Um, well, we read in our, in our reading for this week that Israel splits into two parts. And so we have 10 of the tribes, they go up north. And then basically we have this series of kings and we, there's 20 of them in northern um, Israel uh, versus the prophets. And it's the story of the kings versus the prophets um, of the people who represent, or the, the king who represents the people um, failing to live out the foundational things of God and the prophets calling them back to those things. And then ultimately what we see is a road to exile and then eventually exile. So I just, for me, my way of thinking, wanted to zoom out before we get in any details and just remember the story. And this is the story that's, that's happening that we're reading. All right, um, we're gonna get into the text um, here a little bit. And um, what I'd like to do is... Um, all together, read this passage, and I'll ask for some readers. Um, anybody? Let's pre-select. Let's do a reader. I like that because or else we're kind of bouncing around. Who would who'd like to read this passage? I'll read. Beth is going to read. What's that? I don't have it up, but I can give you my Bible. Yeah, because you've got that strange thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. Second Kings. Hey, you want to come up here? Oh, yeah, so much. I know you do. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. Yeah. I'll, sta to come up I'll stand here. with you. Yeah. So we're going to read 17, one, 1 through 18. No. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. 
Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it with them and commanded them. Oh, did I skip the page? Yeah. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Med Med Meds. Meds. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens, sold themselves to do evil on the side of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Thank you, Beth. So we're starting at the end, and I'm doing that on purpose. Um, this is the end. What you just read is the result of all the bad decisions of all the 20 kings. And where does it end? In exile. And why does it end there? Because... The people forgot God, even though he kept sending the prophets, they forgot him. So here's what we're going to do. Um, in your, at your tables, you, the goal isn't to get through all the questions. The goal is to have good conversation um, around these questions. So use the ones that are helpful to you. Your, your table leaders should have these. Um, I think you all have these um, same questions. Um, but what specific ways did Israel violate the covenant that God made with them? It's really important that we, that we remember that there's a, a covenant, right? Everything, if we forget the covenant, none of this makes sense. But remember, there's a covenant and there's two parts of the covenant, right? There's the part where God says what he's gonna do, but he's what is required of the people. And then he says, and this is the consequence if you don't, if you don't do it, right? Um, so what, what specific ways did Israel violate the covenant? Um, and it's there in the text. And then number two, what influenced Israel's disobedience? Why do you think it was so easy for them to reject 
God's ways. Um, and remember, try to like put yourself in their shoes and their position that, you know, they were in a culture um, not so unlike ours, where you're surrounded by people and customs and culture that's really opposed to the ways of God, um, to kind of try to think about it in that way. Number three, what was so attractive about worshiping Baal for the Israelites? Why abandon a God they had seen? For one, they had not. Um, and then number four, in what ways is violence like that we see playing out in the story of Israel a result of rebellion? What about rebellion causes violence? Um, all right, so let's just take like um, 15, 10, 15 minutes at our tables and discuss these things. And um, when it seems like we're reaching uh, a good point, I'll call us back. All right, some good discussions. Um, why, um, I don't know if everybody got to uh, question three, but I'm really curious to hear some of your answers for what, what was so attractive, do you think, about worshiping Baal um, for, for the Israelites? Why, why would they abandon a God who had done all these things for them, um, they had had personal history with, for a God they had, or gods they couldn't even see? What, what did you talk about there? Okay. Okay, so they wanted a deaf and blind God. Interesting. I think that's probably right. What else? Self-serving? Tell me more about that. Okay. Yeah, that's a great insight, Chris. I mean, yeah, because each of these gods like had a function, right? Like a storm god that could give you rain or a god that gives you fertility. It's things that you need, so it's about getting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir? FOMO. FOMO. I love that. That's a great, perfect. Fear of missing out. We can go home now. That's basically the class. <laughs> Carrie? Yeah. No, that's great. And that, I mean, that's kind of what we see, like even, you know, when the Israelites first went with Moses, right? And he comes down and they build a calf. Why? Because they're afraid. And they're like, we need power. We need something we can grab onto. That's a good insight. Yeah. Vince. Ooh, tell me more about that. That's a, that's a good answer. Can you say that a little bit louder? Wow, that's a great answer. And what I hear you saying is they, they could actually create their own story too, right? Does that sound familiar? Create our own story, retell to things in the way that suits us, right? Um, so yeah, so they do it, right? There's, they're, they're drawn in, they worship Baal, um, and they 
violate all of the covenants, basically forget, forget all the covenants. All right, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the prophets. Now, our book doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the prophets, but for me, um, this is as I'm like reading through um, these texts, um, the thing that jumps off the page to me is the prophets. And, and we're going to zoom in on one in, in, in particular. Um, and I've got, this came direct, directly from Bible Project, just to give credit where credit is due. Um, the role of the prophets, right? This is, I love this tool. Um, to speak on God's behalf, they are covenant watchdogs. Uh, so they remember the covenant, right? That's a little bit inferred there. They're the ones which you can't take for granted, right? And this uh, culture that we're reading about tonight, I mean, everybody's forgotten all the laws. They've forgotten there, there even was um, a covenant. So they know what the covenant is, and they're, they're constantly rebuking and calling people back to the covenant. Um, they call out idolatry and injustice, and then they challenge to repent and follow the Torah. Remember, the first five books, the Torah, those are the foundational things. So repent, and re repent is turning away from something and then turning back towards something else. And so it's turning away from uh, Baal and worship of false gods and turning towards God's law and God himself. Um, so the prophets are really important to, to understand what their role is. And for me, like that understanding really unlocked the Old Testament is just to under, understand, again, foundational things, historical books, where all you need to know about the historical books is this cycle, right, where uh, the people, God makes a way, and then they leave God and run away, and then God sends a prophet um, to, to remind them. But the prophets um, aren't effective in the end, right? Which is the sad, the sad part. Um, all right, we're going to zoom in on, on one prophet, and he's, he's my favorite prophet in all the Bible, Elijah. Um, I love this guy, Elijah. I, can, I look forward to meeting him one day, because um, he's a character, and uh, he's got quite a story. And as I was reading just about Elijah and kind of thinking about him, th something stood out to me that he's, I think, a linchpin in the story. And whenever I'm reading a, a story, and I try to read the Bible like a, like a story, I'm looking for like a, a center character, you know, that kind of the, this part of the story hinges on on this character, or there's a character that kind of helps make sense of all the other parts of the story. And there's probably a lot of those, but I think in, in this particular um, story, Elijah is one of those characters for me. And the reason is because, you know, Elijah in the story shows up in his present, right, with a role. And his role is to be a prophet, to rebuke and challenge Israel and the Northern Kingdom, but specifically Ahab and then Jezebel. Um, and so that's his present, but also the way that God interacts with Elijah and the way he uses him kind of reminds you of the way that God interacted with and used Moses before him. And this is something that it's called types. And it's, it's something that you need to understand as you're studying the scripture is that God has like characters, right? That are real people, but they're like another character that came bef before them. And I think the reason that God does that is it's a way of tangibly and viscerally reminding people of the story, 
that, hey, this isn't the first rodeo. This isn't the first time around. I've been here before. Um, and so, you know, you see Elijah, like, gets to see God in the same way that Moses got to see God. Um, you see that Elijah is cared for in a really specific way um, by God in a similar way that God cared for, for Moses. And so I just think that's an interesting thing as we look at this character, Elijah, that shows up in this crazy story um, where there's all these kings and then Ahab's a really bad one um, who violates just like all the rest, all of, all of the commandments. I love, by the way, on the Bible Project thing, they have a, a scorecard at the top for the kings where it's like, um, how do we figure out whether kings were good or bad? It's like three, a three-part check. Did, did they worship the God of Israel alone? Did they rid Israel of idolatry? And were they faithful to the covenant? Like not a hard job description, right? For a, for a leader, you're like, you only have three things, that's it. You do these three things, you'll get reelected. Um, it'll be fine. And then you see the scorecard below there in Northern Israel, there's 20 kings, they're 0 for 20. Zero, zero of 20 kings meet any of those criteria. And then you see in Southern Judah, which we'll get into next week, you have eight, eight of, out of 12, which still isn't a great batting average. Um, but anyway, Elijah, he's present. He's um, kind of this type of Moses. But then there's this interesting thing th that shows up in the New Testament, and we're going to read it here in a little bit, of Elijah shows up again really far forward in the story at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, which is really interesting to me because he's not a prophet that has his own book. Like, he's not a huge part of the story, but apparently he's a big deal because he shows up with Jesus at, like, the high point of, of his ministry. And so to me, like, I'm going, what is going on here? We have to pay attention. Why is Elijah such an important character? And so I want to zoom in on, on him um, for just a minute. All right, I love, um, this is art by, I might have shared this in some of my teaching before. I love sharing art when I teach because I think art is truth with a slant. Um, art invites you um, to actually explore truth, but in a sideways kind of a way. And so um, this is an interesting project called Jesus Mafa, which was basically a collection of artists that went to Cameroon and basically um, asked Cameroonians like, to describe like how they, when they read the scriptures, like what did they see? And then they painted those stories from a, a Cameroonian pers perspective, which I think is great for us to remember for a lot of reasons. I mean, I just think it's a cool art project, but remember that you know, the characters we're reading about did not live in South Park um, in 2023. They weren't white. Um, they, they weren't, for the most part, wealthy. Some of them were, but for the most part, not. Um, and so this is the rendering of the Mount of Transfiguration from the Jesus Mafa perspective, which I think is, is really cool. So you have Jesus um, with Moses and um, with Elijah and some of the disciples up there. Um, so check out Jesus Mafa. It's all over the internet and you can um, read about that. Okay, together we're going to read uh, 1 Kings 18 through 20. Um, to uh, 1820 through 40. Who would like to come up and read? Now that I know I can have people come up here, that's what I'm doing.
Anybody? Any I know. Come on, guys. Oh, Carrie will always volunteer. <laughs> you bringing your own Bible? Okay. I guess that's allowed. 18, 20 to 40. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bowls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began, to, began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming, or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip, or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did, and he said, so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all that is at your done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. 
Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Do not let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Thanks, Gary. This is a wild story, um, and this is an important story that you need to know um, as a mature Christian. Like, it's just a very important story in the redemptive narrative, um, and there's there's so much happening here. Um, as you as you hear that story, one question I have is like, why a competition? Like, why does why do you think Elijah sets this whole thing up as a competition? What do you think? It's a showdown. Sorry. Okay. Good. Good. That's a great reference, Beth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's sh- showing God's power and People yeah. People love to line up either for or against each other. Uh-huh. And it's a showdown. Yeah. There you go. There's just something in human nature we we love a good showdown. Yeah. Good. What else? Why competition? Okay, why do you think they they needed this? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great answer. Yeah, because think about think about how visible this is. It's crazy. Remember the story opens. How many uh, how many uh, prophets of Baal are there that show up? 450. Now, this is prophets of Baal that are in the household of the king. So think about that for a minute. It's like his personal religious group, and they're all showing up, and they're all going to bring it. And how many of them are on God's side? One. Interesting. Yes, sir. So it allows them to capitalize on the, the mob dynamic at play. Okay. Tell me more about that. That's a great answer. Yeah, because remember, this is before the internet and iPhones, right? So there's, this is the way to go viral, right? Is, is you have to do something magnificent that every, like, people can't deny and that they're going to they're gonna remember always. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's this incredible um, moment. And I love, um, I love how bold Elijah is in this. Is my favorite part in this whole bit is when he's he's taunting the other gods and he's saying, you know, maybe maybe they're asleep. Maybe the best is maybe he's relieving himself. Like, are you kidding me right now? But what gave Elijah such boldness? Because we read that, and again, you can just kind of relegate him to a character and a story and go, wow, that was that that was bold. He was the good guy. That was awesome. But think about what was on the line for him. Everything, right? His very life is, is on the line in this. And he doesn't just do it, right? He could have just 
shown up and then just prayed for God meekly. But instead, he's like this character and he's bold and he's taunting 450 in front of everyone. Um, what do you think gave him that boldness? He remembers. Okay, he remembers the story. Yes, that's right. That's a great answer. Yeah, and if you really remember and you really believe, that gives you courage. That's an important thing to write down, I think. If we really remember, we really believe, it's what gives us courage. What else? Bob? Okay, God tells him. Yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. And he's obedient. Yeah. There's also a, a dynamic, I think. It'd be different if you were just face to face with one person. No, you did it. No, you, you know. But if you're against 450, man, you better just go for it. Mm -hmm. Like David and Goliath. I mean, it's, I, I just think the strength. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot of guts. It takes big guts. I think being godless is you feel it. Mm -hmm. And it, it gives you this strength that you almost don't know where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And you just have that like, strength and relationship. Wow, that's a great answer. Yeah, the spirit of God is clearly with them in that moment. Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. She was delighted. The whole audience was thrilled. Everything you're talking about here reminds me of that. Oh, that's a beautiful story. It's a true story. I was there. I saw it. You remember. <laughs> yeah, you remember. Divine IT. Divine IT, yeah. We need that. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. And I do think that that, that makes a great connection, right, that... Um, yeah, Elijah was able to be bold because he believed and he had faith. And I think one of the indications of like, how do we know whether we have faith? How do we know whether we really believe that God is who he says he is, is we're willing to step out in faith and, and trust him? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a season in the wilderness yeah. that God met him in a really intimate way. 
And so he knew God not as an abstract concept, but as a God who fed him and took care of him. That's a great, great insight. Not, not long before, uh, God used him to raise a child from the dead. Mm-hmm. So he saw, you want to talk about the ultimate miracle. Mm-hmm. That's kind of it. But in this, this narrative here, you've got almost like Elijah saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a little extra because we're going to use bulls. Mm-hmm. That's your man mm-hmm. right there. You know? And if it handicaps it at all, you got the bull. You know, that's, that's your guy. Um, and so there may be a little symbolism there too um, that really showed them that um, their bull couldn't do anything, mm-hmm. but God could destroy the bull. Hundred percent. It's a great insight, you know, that every everything's like there's there's so much meaning in here, and everything was for a purpose because, as Bob pointed out, is God's plan. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that story. She was very stubborn. She didn't really admit it. Um, uh-huh. She was like, yeah, I'm not sick anymore. Thank you. But she never, I, I don't know how it impacted her, but I really didn't feel like that was my business. It was just God working through her. Yeah. Wow. Tell me your name again. <laughs> Mallory. Mallory. Thank you, Mallory, for your faith. And for sharing that. And I think that's part of, you know, the beauty of being in a community uh, is that our, our faith stories individually are meant to strengthen all of our faith stories that like we're to remember Mallory's story, you know, that because that was a moment, the same God that showed up on this mountain for Elijah is the same God that showed up in that Chinese restaurant. It's the same God that will show up in your neighborhood. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, well, Elijah, unfortunately, he's the man, but it doesn't work. Doesn't work. Um, even after all that, right? Like crazy story, like undeniable presence of the living God, coupled with remembering all the stories and saying, guys, this is the God who showed up for us, who's called us. He's, he's ours. And it doesn't work. And the people still rebel. And I think, like, for me, that's, like, one of the most poignant things about this whole story, about this whole section of Scripture, is that God shows up in all the power he, that you can imagine, that you can ask for, um, but if your heart's hardened against him, you won't see him, and, you, and you'll keep rebelling. 
and that's the way of the world as well. Um, actually, before we get to this, I have to read the Mount of Transfiguration story. Um, and I'll just, I'll read this one. And this is Matthew, I'm reading from Matthew 17. And I just want to like, um, this is important because our story doesn't end in, in Second Kings. Um, our story is always pointing to the bigger story here. And in this one, I just can't miss this moment of this character of this man, Elijah, who shows up fast forward all the way in the Gospels. Chapter 17, starting verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is a, another significant story that you need to know, and I want you to make this connection between Elijah that shows up on the mountain, who's courageous against the prophets of Baal, um, and then shows up in this moment where essentially what's happening is the curtain, the thin veil, right, between heaven and earth is pulled back for a moment. And the disciples are given an insight to see what Jesus sees, to see into the heavenly realms that aren't far away, that are, that are just right there, right on the cusp. Which, by the way, like this isn't what this teaching is about, but I think that's true all the time, right? When we, we read the scriptures that God is near, he's near, He's near to us. It's a thin veil. We just can't see it. So he pulls it back, and, and who is standing there? Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and why Elijah? And there's a lot to say here, but essentially Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. What is the symbolism? And it's, again, it's a visceral moment on a mountain where God's giving the disciples, this moment that they can never forget. The message is that Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. All of it is pointing to him. And the affirmation from the Father, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased, listen to him. And it pro produced great terror in Jesus' friends in that, in that moment. This is what I want you to catch is Elijah's story, Elijah's life is not about Elijah, right? It, it's not even about this moment that we read about with the prophets of Baal or whatever. All of it is pointing to the one true king, King Jesus, right? And that's what, it, that's what it's all about is these, all of these stories are pointing to the big story that God's people forgot him, lost their way, rejected him over and over and over and over. 
but God didn't give up and he kept making a way. And so he's made this way for us to know him. Um, and left to our own devices, we would be up there rejecting God too and forgetting all of his stories. Um, but because of Jesus, because he's the fulfillment, because he's the very presence of God in us and with us and for us, um, we, we won't forget. And so we are his ambassadors on this side of eternity. Um, all right, final exercise. I don't want to leave you just with some theological ideas. Um, I, I really like want us to make the connection between um, the stories that we read about, the stories of, of the ways that God's people rebelled over and over and over again, despite um, the work of the prophets, um, is the same thing is still happening for us today. Our context hasn't changed that much. So I'm a big fan of the newspaper. I know I'm like a dork that way or whatever, but I love, I love reading an actual physical paper. So we've got newspapers on your table. Here's the exercise. I want you to read through the headlines and browse the stories. If you get a section that's like the food section and it doesn't have good stories um, and you can borrow something from your neighbor, um, what I want you to do is identify where you see people continuing in idolatry and rebellion against God. And hold on just a second. Um, let me just... I want you to write the name of the false god you see people worshiping on the article. I want you to cut it out. So you have scissors in your little pouch there. I want you to cut out the article. I want you to write the name of the false god that you see. And we're going to come and you're going to stick those up on a piece of paper up here. Any questions about what we're doing? All right. Have fun. All right. Well, um... You guys, you guys really struggled. You guys, uh, you guys struggled to find articles. That was weird. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't that much. There wasn't that much to choose from. I'm sorry about that. Um, no, that was crazy, right? Like in, in five minutes in a daily paper, look, look what you came up with. And, and some of the things were unbelievable. It was like the words were like right there. On, on the article, you know, um, consumerism, patriotism, greed, power, uh, money, sports, celebrity, violence, um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, if we were writing our story of our culture, we would have a longer list than they had of the ways that we've forgotten God and the ways we've gone our own way. Um, we've invented things. We've invented things. Yeah, we're, we're the most creative. Yeah, we're entrepreneurial when it comes to sin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, this is, our, this is our culture. This is the water that we swim in. And I think, like, part of what we have to realize is it's real easy to like point the finger and say, well, that's, that's the world, but, but we're, we're fine. We're good. We're following God. But it's like a fish in water. It's, it's, the, it's what we're in. It's our context, and we're influenced by it, and we're drawn away by it. Um, and so there's, there's two kinds of sin, and you saw this in the text, right? You saw individual sin of each king, and the ways that they individually went astray. But then you saw corporate sin as well, corporate rebellion, ways in which entire societies have gone off the 
off the chart. And what happens is it's like the frog in the boiling water. You know, you just turn up the heat just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And all of a sudden, things that once seemed an abomination and clearly were against God's rule, um, all of a sudden seem pretty normal. And the scriptures teach us that as the world nears the end, right, as we keep moving each day closer and closer and closer to the return of the King Jesus, right, the scriptures tell us that what we should expect is that things that once were considered wrong are now considered right. And things get normalized. And we don't even maybe realize to, to what extent sin and rebellion are normalized in our culture. But five minutes with a daily paper, and we came up with this. Well, what should our response be? Um, we've seen truth. We've seen God's bigger story, that God is a faithful God who keeps running after his people. He keeps calling us back. He keeps making a way. You remember our bottom line? God keeps making a way, but people keep rebelling. Things haven't changed, guys. God's still made a way, but here's the difference. The way he's made is final and ultimate. We're not waiting for more prophets to enter into our story and write all these wrong stories anymore. The, the final prophet has come. The king has entered into the world and he's made all, all things new. He promises to make all things new. Our response, though, um, when we think about uh, the ways that our own culture is in rebellion ought to be confession. And so that's where I want to end um, our time today is in a time of confession. Um, and I want to invite us just to spend five minutes in silence um, with your notebook or your piece of paper. And I, I really like, want to invite you to consider, um, as you think about the ways that our culture has been prone to stray away from the ways of God, away from the heart of God. Um, how have those things infiltrated your own heart? Which one of those false gods or which ones of those false gods are you tempted to follow and, and to worship? And we all have them. We all have those temptations because it's the culture that we're in and, and our hearts are sinful and broken and wayward too. So I want you to take five minutes and think about... Um, which false gods are you tempted to follow? And maybe in what specific ways? I'm not going to ask you to share that with anybody. That's, that's your own private confession. I, I want to invite you to write, write out a prayer of confession. Um, whatever that looks like for, for you to confess um, before a living and holy God who's pursued you with all his heart. To say, you know what, God, like I've, I've abandoned you in my own way. I've, I've, I've actually been sucked into all these stories and actually I'm not that different than my brothers and sisters in ancient times that forgot you too. So we'll take five minutes and do that and then we're gonna pray a corporate prayer of confession together to close tonight. And that's okay. Um, this may be a project that you wanna sit with. Um, my prayer for you this week has been that for, for, for some of you, you, you need a moment um, to remember who God is because maybe you've forgotten to. Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't met him before. 
And maybe this is a moment where um, you're being reminded of the brokenness of your own heart as well. And I hope that's true for some of you because you know what? One of the most tiring things in life is to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders and to think it's all up to you to make a way, to make everything right, to make sense of your life, to find your purpose, to be reconnected with God. But here's, here's the most beautiful news of, of all time is that God already did it for you. The same God that we read about tonight that showed up for Elijah and demonstrated his power, the same God who stood on the mountain with his friends and pulled back the veil between heaven and earth and showed that he is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, that every single story that we read about in this course points to Jesus, the one who entered into the story, who lived the flawless life that you can't live because some of you are still trying to live a perfect life and it hasn't worked out. Maybe that's what you're reminded of tonight is that you're broken and that your efforts aren't enough, that you keep missing the mark and you keep failing over and over and over again. But Jesus already came and he already lived that life and he already took all of your brokenness and he took that to the cross and he handled it in a perfect way with a holy God and he made a perfect way for you to be restored and perfect relationship with the God who made you and loves you and calls you by name. So I hope that truth penetrates your heart tonight, even as you grieve the ways in which you've fallen away and the ways you've confessed that you've gone the way of the world instead of the way of Jesus. Um, what I want to invite us to do um, is in by standing together, and we're just going to read um, a confession together as a way of closing. Father, we come before you as a broken people with broken bodies and broken minds. We humbly confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have done what is evil in your sight in our thoughts, words, and deeds. And by those things we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have been impatient and unkind. We have run after the things of this world and been drawn away by the desires of our hearts. We are a wayward people in need of Jesus. We remember our spiritual and relational poverty tonight and also remember your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for making a way for us to be restored through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen. Now, friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.